0: Drink Wine, Vancouver! A clean sweep of the New York metropolitan area and the Vancouver Canucks roll to the midway mark of their National Hockey League schedule with an incredible record of 27-11-3 after a 5-2 victory over the New York Islanders. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway. Jeff Patterson, delighted to welcome Farhan Lalji of TSN to Rinkwide for the first time. Obviously, Farhan, you and I have worked together a lot of times over the years in different mediums, but the first time here on Rinkwide, so welcome. And we get you on a night when the Canucks get to the halfway point of their season and you're starting to wonder, are they ever going to lose again?
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and they just continue to get more and more impressive. And look, I, I was in Houston, uh, you know that, for the college football championship yesterday, so I'm still pretty down. I did not get to watch yesterday's game, but I did see all the highlights uh, and and read it all. And I mean, when you go into Madison Square Garden and you can put up that kind of performance where they were full value for their win yesterday, clearly, and then you can follow that up with what they did here today. I mean, it's, it's so impressive, right? I mean, you get the period, they were kind of feeling each other out, and then all of a sudden, Vancouver gets that one power play. They don't score in the power play, but then they build so much momentum him off it and there's just nothing the islanders could have done to take it away at that point and then a classic canuck third period where they just you know were, were workmanlike professional and got it done again this is, when you look at the number we shake our head at the notion of comparing this team to the 2011 team but here they are at the <laughs> 41 point mark 27 points the only other time they've done that in franchise history was 2010 2011 amazing stuff jeff
0: Well, and it's funny because you're right. I thought that, you know, to move on from Madison Square against the Rangers, and that was a track meet, and you kind of thought, all right, the Islanders haven't played since Saturday. They're going to be rested. And there was that sort of feeling out portion of the first period and then the Canucks get the two goals okay the third period or the second period rather uh, you get Elias Pedersen and JT Miller showing off because that's what a lot of lines been doing here of late yeah but the third period really impressed me in this hockey game and you're probably saying what the third period nothing happened that's the point keep in mind this is three games in four nights now I know there's not a lot of travel there geographically for the Canucks but still three games in four nights they're a long way from home and and for them to basically just lock it down and keep the Islanders at bay, farhan, the Islanders were down two nothing after 20 minutes. Like you would have thought, all right, they're gonna push for the rest of this hockey game they generated 8 shots on goal over the final 40 minutes against a you know what should have been a tired Canucks team with its backup goaltender in there and we'll certainly talk about Casey DeSmith and lots of other facets of this game but the Canucks outshoot the Islanders 15 to 4 in the second period i thought they were absolutely clinical in that second period save for the one power play goal that they gave up but over the final 40 minutes of this hockey game, again, three and four for the Canucks, they outshoot the Islanders 21 to eight. Like, I do think you have to salute this team that it's not all about offense. I'm sure Rick Tockett and the coaching staff love the fact that they were able to lock this one down.
1: Yeah, and you know, you talk about the third period. This actually started in the second period because that goal comes with just under nine minutes to go, and the Canucks don't give up a shot the rest of the period, <laughs> right? So you can yeah. sit there and think that, okay, well, you know, three to one, the Islanders are at home, they're going to push, they're fresher. Not one shot for the remaining eight forty nine of that period, and then Tyler Myers comes in on a hunt. What was, looked like a four <laughs> on two or a whole lot against very little the other way. I just uh, what almost ninety four mile an hour slap shot uh, to put the Canucks up four one. So yeah, I mean, look, there, there's there's a lot to like. I don't know if these shows are more fun when they're terrible, right? Just because. Oh, I've you know, done enough. We've both done enough shows when they're terrible. This is a lot more fun than what we've had to do. I, like I'm telling you, for me, Jeff. You know how my schedule has worked the last little while where the last couple of years where, you know, I, I'm i into the Canucks and then all of a sudden the NFL playoffs start and the college football starts and I go and by the time I come back, they're yep, out of they're it. Done. Yeah, like they're, yep. they're gone. It's going to be completely different this year and, I, and I'm excited to be able to sink my teeth back into this when all these games are actually going to matter. Well, and with the 27th
0: victory here, they're up to 57 points on the season. First team in the NHL to 57. Now, that's just an arbitrary number. Winnipeg's in action as we record, and so is Boston. So things can change. But with the win, the Canucks did get to 57 before any other team in the NHL. They're 3-1 and one on this road trip. And they're 11-2-2 two two now in their last 15 hockey games. And I did tweet this out as uh, time wound down there at UBS Arena that Farhan, like the Canucks have rendered the out-of-town scoreboard completely meaningless right now, that it doesn't matter what the LA Kings or Vegas or Edmonton or any of those teams in the chase pack are doing when you're rattling off 11 wins in a 15-game stretch and two of the other games, you get a single point because at least you take them to overtime. Again, we thought November when they alternated wins and losses there for a 10-game stretch that, you know, this could go one of two ways. And since then they have just absolutely put the hammer down and there's
1: been no looking back. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, when when you go back to what the low point of this team has been and a month ago, they were scuffling along at 500 hockey, right? I mean, they were just yep. alternating wins and losses for nine games. That was the low bar. So, you know, and th- and that's a testament to the coaching staff, in, in my opinion, and what Rick Talkett has been able to do because they're always able to, revert back to their habits and revert back to their systems and clearly the how they've been taught and the message that's been given is resonating right and i always talk about this team's maturity because we've seen the immature version of these players and there is a maturity to where they're at right now where if something goes bad it doesn't get really bad and they are able to fall back on structure and they are able to fall back on some habits they've been able to build in pretty well going back to late last season so like I said, it's a good thing because like we see 11-2-2 two, and, two, and when we look back and we we always talk about regression. And I know that's one thing Drancer talks about and um and, and understand, right, that if you are a, if you're a fan and you think, oh, there they go again, talking about regression, they think this team's going to suck again. No, we don't. We just think you can go from 660 to 580 and that's a little bit of regression and that's still pretty good hockey, right? None of us at this point, like we have kind of given into the point that barring a, crazy number of injuries this team's not playing 400 hockey the wheels are not going to fall off this wagon at any point so regression just means you know getting back down to kind of some level of normalcy and you know maybe that'll come but uh, they're certainly not showing it right now with the way they're playing And, and like I said what the what the floor of this team has shown us is still pretty solid yeah I mean it was a spectacular performance at
0: Madison Square and you did wonder would they be able to come back down and reset? Again, it's a different style against this Islander team that hadn't played in a while. And for them to follow up a 6-3 win with a 5-2 victory here, they scored 6 against the Devils. So they outscore those three New York City area teams 17-9. Lotto line put on a show against the Devils, another one against the Rangers. They were in on the scoring here. We certainly have seen that third line with Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua and Joshua with another empty netter here. So the third line, you know, they've got their fingerprints on the game, but a bit of a different wrinkle for the Vancouver Canucks and not that they need to find new sources of offense, but to get three goals in a game from defensemen, Philip Aaronic opens the scoring late in the first period. Quinn Hughes, we've seen him do the solo thing a number of times. He gets his 11th of the year, and then Tyler Myers, you referred to that, the big blast. And when he winds up, that is a big blast. But he gets his third. You get into playoffs, and and now I'm starting to, as they're truly at the midway mark. You can say it. Well, But I'm also, I'm starting to look at this team sort of through a playoff prism, and the fact that they hadn't been getting a lot of power plays in the last few games you're not going to get a lot of power plays probably in the playoffs. And so the fact that they're scoring all these five-on-five goals, I think you can see that as a positive. Guess what? In the playoffs, you're playing other good teams. Your top guys might get neutralized at times. You need other layers of offense. And that's where that third line, the way that they're going, you know, they can play a role. But also, absolutely, you will take contributions from defensemen. The Canucks got a bunch of goals early in the season. Quinn Hughes got off to a really quick start, obviously, in both the goal scoring and the point gathering. But it was funny. Prior to this one, just two goals from defensemen in the last 15 games, and one of those was Hughes into an empty net in the game before Christmas. Ian Cole had the other one, his first of the year, so they hadn't been getting a lot of goals from defensemen, but uh, an absolute explosion, and Philip Hironik with the the big blast that fells Casey Sazikas, and that caused problems, obviously, the Islanders' zone. Puck works its way back to Hironik. And he doesn't miss the second time around. And so uh, Philip Hironik was just getting started. He's had a a really nice road trip. Uh, He and Hughes were terrific last night at Madison Square. And I thought uh, a really strong performance across the board from the Canucks, but I thought uh, a
1: really nice night from Philip Hironik. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you. You know, and we we saw, you mentioned the numbers when he and Hughes were on the ice yesterday. I'm still waiting for them. Like, they put the lotto line together. We're still rarely ever seeing Hughes and and Hironik apart. Yeah. Right, I mean, other than for, for the odd drib and drab in a game, we're not seeing much of it. So I'm curious to see what that'll look like if they ever get to that and just kind of leave it for for an extended period of time. But you know, right now there's kind of not a need to because the other pairs are starting to really, really pick up their level. And tonight was one of the first nights we've seen the load management, right? Yeah. And talk, it has talked about trying to get Juleson back into the lineup and, and make it by committee in terms of the second and third pairs. So Ian Cole didn't play tonight. Uh, I thought Juleson acquitted himself well, had the shot block on the penalty kill, I thought, uh, in the third period that was good, but just doesn't look out of place at all. And now, you know, we're not seeing the mistakes that we've seen previously, you know, on, on a regular basis from a Tyler Myers. And and I think, you know, we saw the first 10 games with Zadorov. The Canucks were so much better with him in the lineup, even if his numbers weren't great. But now... He's starting to kind of really figure out what the coaches want from him. So I think that as good as Roenick is, I think the entire blue line, um, you know, I haven't checked the the time on ice today, but think of yesterday, right? Nobody had to play more than like 21 and a half minutes. How much do you think that helped him today? Yeah, you no, know, huge. Uh, Quinn Hughes played a little
0: bit more in this one, 24 and a half minutes. There were some special teams. Hey, they got power plays. That's something that hadn't happened an awful lot. So Hughes yeah. was the high ice time man. But again, 24, anything under 25 is totally manageable for him, even at uh, you know, the end of a, a stretch like this, three and four, four and six. and And on his goal... You know, his 11th of the season, he's so dangerous uh, all over the ice, but obviously when he kind of gets into that prowling mode in the offensive zone, and look, this is a Canucks post-game pod and we're focusing on the Canucks, but I do have to say, what was Jean-Gabriel Pajot doing? Like, and I know that it's Quinn Hughes and it's not easy to track him down, but they they were all staring though. They were all just kind of puck watching like to the nth degree. Uh, That's not uh, the Islanders system or the Islanders style, but uh, whatever, I mean. Quinn makes you do that, right? He's mesmerizing, and and he saw the opening, cut to the middle of the ice, and made no mistake.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, he, he had uh, 50 points in 40 games coming into this, so he added to that total today. About 40 seconds before that goal, there was a really good play by Brock Besser at the blue line, right? So he almost turns it over. And it would have been a two-on-one the other way, but he stayed really, really strong at the blue line and prevented it from getting past him, kept the puck in, and then all of a sudden there were a couple of scoring chances before Hughes kind of picked it up and and did his circle. So a lot of good on that play from a lot of different players. But when Hughes dances, man, that guy's fun to watch. And, he, you know, we, we've talked about him taking his game to another level. Then there was that, you know, a 10-game lull, and he admitted it. He said, you know, we were kind of all waiting for that Christmas break. You know, and uh, and just, we were feeling our legs, and it was a difficult schedule. And now, if any player, really, and, and truthfully, I think it's been both he and Pedersen. Christmas break has done those two a world of good.
0: Yeah, and look, the big news around the league earlier in the week was, was uh, William Nylander getting his contract, and you, yeah. you just have to know that Elias Petterson's paying attention, and that the meter is moving here. Again, as we record this, after the Canucks game, There's other action around the NHL, so things can change, but in this moment, nobody has scored more goals, nobody has recorded more points... In January, and I get we're not even to the middle of the month, but talk about Happy New Year for Elias Pettersson, a year where he is going to get a contract and he's going to be a rich, rich man. He is looking like a guy, again, that you know can command essentially whatever he wants from the Vancouver Canucks. Seven goals already here in five games. He had two against Ottawa, two against New Jersey, two against the Rangers last night. And honestly, like I mean, Miller and Pettersson on that goal looked, like they were, and they're not trying to show up the Islanders, but they made them look foolish just yeah. passing it across the slot there. And EP 40 up to 20 goals at the midway mark for a guy that got to 39 last year but didn't get to 40. Farhan, he's right there. He's on
1: pace now for the first 40 goal season of his NHL career. Yeah, and that goal also started by a really good play by Phil Roenick. Basically, he's able to retrieve the puck in the slot and, and able to get it to Pedersen. I know that there was so much speculation about him being injured. He denied it. I, You know, I know before I left, he he spoke to one reporter who suggested, you know, there was something going on. He's like, listen, whatever your sources are telling you, I'm fine. And maybe he was tired. I don't know. But he certainly looks absolutely fine right now. Just it, it's not just the, the production, because early on in the year, I remember, I think he had 19 points in his first 10 games. You can't say he had a quiet 19 points, but he kind of had a quiet 19 points. You know what I mean? There was a lot of power play traffic and he still wasn't controlling play and controlling the puck like we're used to seeing. This is peak Petey right now. What he's been doing since the start of January, the way he's been doing it, the eye test as it were, has been really, really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and again, this lotto line—you just think you're going to ride it. Another test coming up on Thursday against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins, and certainly some offense on that side. But Canucks can match it with one of the best lines in the league, and then when you get the supporting cast like Suter and McAvoy and Kuzmenko, I didn't play poorly. I didn't think they haven't found their offense. They're not getting anything from them. Uh, It feels like every night out that third line continues to. Produce. But you know the bottom lines. If you look at the underlying numbers in a game like this one, the third and fourth lines, even if they don't really—I mean, again—the third line chipped in some offense, but they spent basically the entire night tilting the ice in the Canucks' favor. So they're not defending, they're not giving up much, and they're grinding and wearing down the Islanders so that when your top offensive guys get out there.
1: You know they can go to work and do their thing. But can you expect more, like offensively? I know Shooter was involved in, in a goal yesterday, but can you expect that second line? Because we knew that as soon as they moved Miller up to the first line, we knew that that was going to really stretch them out and stretch them a little bit as far as what they look like down the middle. I don't know that you can expect more, right? Like, I mean, if they can play even in terms of in terms of possession. And not get caved in. I think you got to be happy with that, don't you? And I mean, and Suter has shown. He's that type of player. Uh, you know, Mikheyev, the way he skates, is that type of player. The two of them could get Kuzmenko to the point where, you know, that line doesn't have to be a defensive liability. And that's really all they could ask at this point. Because on some levels, it's almost their fourth line.
0: Right. I mean, you've got a top line, and then you essentially have three bottom six lines, even if one of them is one of the best bottom six lines in hockey these days, it is hard to put numbers right now because uh, at the start of the season, Mikhaev and Kuzmenko, you would think would have been in your top six, but Mikheyev's gone quiet. He has one goal in his last dozen games. He's not hurting them, but he's not helping them a- an awful lot right now. Kuzmenko, we know the storyline's there. We won't go deep because he wasn't a factor on a night like tonight. And look, PF Suter's been a- an excellent addition to this hockey club. The guy's super smart. You see it positionally sound. And there has been some offense to his game. They didn't need it. They get three goals from defensemen. They get a goal from lotto line. Offense hasn't been an issue all year. It certainly wasn't on the, you know, the, the trek through New York City with six against the Devils and six against the Rangers and five here. Yeah, I mean, they are rolling right now. And it's been this way all season long. The the confidence that they have in Casey DeSmith. Now, this was an obvious choice. It was back-to-backs. It's the only back-to-back set on the road trip. I'm sure there'll be one more start for DeSmith, either in Buffalo on Saturday or Columbus on Monday, but the confidence that this team has in its backup goaltender, in turning to its backup goaltender, the belief there that he's not just giving Thatcher Demko a night off, Casey DeSmith improves to 7-3-2. and
1: two. He's picked up points in nine of his 12 starts this season. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we talked about the early period in this game where the two teams were kind of feeling each other out. I think it was about seven and a half minutes into the game. He robbed Pierre Engvall.
0: Yes. Right, like
1: right in front. And that was a big-time moment. And it wasn't that far, wasn't that much after that that uh, Vancouver winds up getting its first goal. So it's not often, even with, with Thatcher Demko, we talked about this in yesterday's game, where I heard you and Earth talk about it, that it wasn't necessarily a bunch of great saves, but it was the timeliness of specific saves. And he makes that save off Engvall in this game today and that allows the connection to take a one nothing lead. And we know how deadly this team has been with the lead, regardless of what stage it's in. So if you can do that early while your team is still figuring it out, you know, that's good. And, and you're right. I mean, he's he's given this team everything they could ask for. And they've had generally good backup goaltending play in this organization until that backup's got to be the starter, right? So I, I don't know that I want to find out what that would ever look like. But right now, is if he can get one every third game, one of every fourth game, uh, I think it's great for Thatcher Demko and great for this team because they play confident in front of him
0: yeah the Angval save was terrific moments later barzell and man i could sit and watch matt barzell just skate like i, I would pay some money not a ton of money because yeah. i'm pretty cheap but that guy just when he gets motoring and down the right side in the first period and again a, a good scoring opportunity but Desmith was solid square to the shooter made the save there uh made a nice stop off Palmary. the two-on-one with barzell in the second period as well so there were some stops in there but just organizationally the team in front of him so sound so stout defensively that they made the night pretty easy for Casey DeSmith but at the midway mark they've got 7 wins from their backup goaltender and and I'm a big believer if you're going to be a playoff team and they are going to be a playoff team now how this plays out I mean that's what the second half's going to show us but I've always kind of felt you need 30 to 35 wins from your starter And then probably 10 to 12, maybe even 15 wins from your backup. And Casey DeSmith is certainly doing his part there. And it'll be interesting. I mean, the the better he plays, the more confidence they have in him, the less reliant they're going to have to be on Thatcher Demko over the second half. And, And quite frankly, if they can find a few extra starts for Casey DeSmith, I mean, arrested Thatcher Demko by the time the postseason rolls around. Uh, Dismiss is going to have a role here in the second half. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, it's all now being done with an eye to... And we saw the load management that you referred to. Uh, I'll be curious to sort of see the workload and the split between the two goaltenders here as long as they both stay healthy
1: over the second half of the season. It's going to have to happen now, right? And you're going to get a little bit of a break at the end of the month with the All-Star break. But when you get when you get into March and April... The Canucks will again be playing for something. So right now you can you can do your load management and you can um you know you can manage the goaltenders playing time a little bit. But when you get into March, the way this team is going right now, you are going to be playing for first place in the division. You're gonna be playing for first place in the conference. And now all of a sudden, those games are gonna matter. So when you look at the schedule in February, especially where it does get compressed again, coming out of the all-star break, that's where you've gotta you've gotta find some time to make sure you give Thatcher Demko a little bit of a break, right? And not leave it until the end when it becomes too late. To me, that's a great point because if
0: you look ahead at the schedule really around the middle of February. That's the first time they see Winnipeg, is the middle of February. They see L.A. for the first time at the end of February. The Kings are starting to free fall a little bit here, and it uh, be interesting to see if they can hold their place or if they're going to start looking over their shoulder at the uh, Edmonton Oilers who are charging here. But if you look at the remainder of January up until that All-Star break, you know, they've got Buffalo and Columbus at the back end of this road trip. They see the Blue Jackets and the Sabres at home In Vancouver, before the All-Star break, they get Arizona in there, they get Chicago as well. So, you know, there are opportunities here. It doesn't have to be a heavy dose of Thatcher Demko for the remainder of this month. It's starting to look like, he and a bunch of them are going to go to Toronto and represent this organization at the All-Star Game, so maybe they don't get the the break as long as they they thought they were going to. But again, I mean, that's, uh, I think, a feather in the cap of the Canuck Hockey Club that people around the league, maybe it's Canuck fans that are stuffing the ballot box here, whatever the case, All-Star Weekend's not terribly taxing, and they start out of All-Star break in Carolina, so everybody was going to have to travel east anyway. Yeah, I think they can reduce the workload on Thatcher-Demko the remainder of this month, and then attack those months, as you said, February and March, when they're playing for something and they're also getting a steady diet of the Kings,
1: the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, the the Winnipeg Jets. Well, you you look at it, you look at the middle of February, they've got a five-game and eight-night stretch bracketed by home games against Winnipeg and Boston. And then in the midst of that, three road games and four nights including one in Colorado and the second of a back-to-back, right? Like the schedule is going to get that, like that time of the year. And whether those games are big or not, that's where they can't get overly tempted. That's where they've got to find a way to make sure their guys are rested a little bit, even though it's a difficult part of the season, because in March, you know, in the first two weeks of April, before the playoff starts, that's when you're going to have your eye on positioning January, February, figure it out now so that you can be a little more free to do what you want in March and April.
0: Well, the Canucks kind of feel like they're doing whatever they want right now. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. It was New Jersey. It was the Rangers. In this one, it was the New York Islanders. Again, 17 to 9 on aggregate here. Those three teams in the New York area, they move on to Pittsburgh on Thursday. Buffalo for a matinee on Saturday. And the road trip wraps up on Monday. Now, Monday's Martin Luther King Day in the States. It's a 10 a.m. Pacific time start in Columbus at the tail end of this seven-game, season-long seven-game road trip. So a bit of a screwy start time. Uh, Canucks don't have a great history of early starts out on the road in the Eastern time zone, and the road trip wraps up with a pair of those. But, you know, they're just putting points in the bank here as they go. And next up is Sid the Kid and the Penguins, on Thursday in Pittsburgh. Lots still ahead here on this episode of Rink Wide. We'll get uh, inside the locker room for some post-game reaction. We'll get our three-star selection. We'll have the stat that stands out. We're going to do something a little differently on this one. Usually we ask you, the listeners, you know, what stood out to you in the hockey game. But being at the midway market, at 27-11-3, the question we're posing in this one is, what is the singular biggest story from the first half of this Vancouver Canucks season? Farhan, I'm going to pose that question to you a little bit later on as well. So get the thinking cap on. If it wasn't, it's always on with you, but uh, we'll get to that as well. And a few thoughts on uh, the opponent that they'll see on Thursday. So all of that is still ahead, but right now it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. Montreal goes into Philadelphia. The Flyers making the trade for Jamie Drysdale. He's expected to make his Flyers debut. Habs of one, two of three. And the value here is on the road underdogs. You can get Montreal at 250 on the money line. So we'll see how that all plays out. That game coming up on Wednesday. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. That is our Betway bet of the day. The Vancouver Canucks 5-2 victors over the Islanders at UBS Arena. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. (laughs) Going to hear from a couple of players here in a sec. Casey the Smith and the Captain Quinn Hughes as the Canucks take down the Islanders by a score of five to two. Five different goal scores. Heronik. Hughes, Pedersen, Myers, and Dakota Joshua becoming the finisher. He's like the the modern-day Louis Erickson here, farhand the empty netter (laughs) uh, the other night in uh, Jersey, and and the empty netter to seal the deal. He's up to 11 on the season. So, uh, hey, they all count. And the fact that he's out there late in games, he's become a— Key penalty killer for the Vancouver Canucks. It just speaks to the trust that the coach has in this guy. And again, uh, this is a player that was a healthy scratch. Remember, there were comments in preseason about him having to fight for his job. And then he was a scratch in the first game of November, the big 10-1 win down in San Jose. But ever since then, Dakota Joshua, uh, he's seen the light and
1: has seen the red light uh, 11 times now on the season. Well, it wasn't just the fact that he buried it in the empty net; it was the steal, like yes. the, for him to take it at the uh, the Canucks' blue line and and to make that play, uh, and he was just smooth with it, right? And I think the fact that a number of these guys have been scratched at various times is a good thing because it means the story's not written, right? And if you're a player, you've now got a number of examples you can look at, like Phil Giuseppe started the year playing in the top six. You know, he was definitely in the penthouse. And then all of a sudden, things changed. He started getting demoted in the lineup. He started getting scratched. Now he's injured. We've seen players up and down. And that means if I'm a player, stay hungry, right? From negative to positive. But the other side, too, is that it can work out for me, right? Like if things are going bad right now, this coach has demonstrated that he will give you opportunities to fix it and will reward you as such that it's just if you're in the doghouse you're not staying in the doghouse there you do have a window and he can point to a number of different examples and say look look what happened to uh look what happened to hoglander look what happened to this guy look what happened to that guy and, and i think that's a good thing for uh, you know a middle six or a fringe player and even if you're a guy up the lineup you might get benched for a short period of time you're not going to get scratched but we saw what happened to miller earlier and you know there there've been times earlier where maybe peterson didn't get as much time in a third period if he wasn't going or whatever so he's shown that he is willing to do all of that and i think that's a that's a positive for everybody in the building
0: a, a lot of positives for the Vancouver Canucks in this one. 5-2. We've talked about Casey DeSmith and his performance. Let's hear from the backup goaltender. I hadn't played since a 4-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers the first game out of the Christmas break. He wasn't good enough that night. The team in front of him wasn't good enough either. I'm certainly not pinning that loss on Casey DeSmith, but we've come to expect uh, victories from him or at least points in the standings, and he delivered here, and he was asked about uh, staying fresh and staying ready when the opportunities present themselves. Uh, same thing I always say, just... Work hard in practice, good habits. Um, you know, Clark, he's big on the habits. And if you have good habits in practice, it translates to games. And, uh, you know, we've been pu- we've been working hard and it's paying off. Obviously, the team was incredible tonight. I mean, to do that on a back-to-back against a really good Islanders team, um, in my opinion, that was one of the better wins for the team uh, this season. Well, there you go. He's watched a lot of the games from the bench. Pretty good vantage point there. And the games that he's played, calling this maybe or uh, one of the best performances of the hockey club all season long.
1: Yeah, he, he would know, right? And he's been very good. And we talked about the timeliness of the saves that he made, right? There was that one midway through the period, you know, that kept the game scoreless. And then the, the Canucks were able to get the opening goal. That was also the two-on-one uh, with uh, Barzal and Paul uh, Palmieri in the second period. He made a really good save on as well before Carson Soucy batted it out of the air and and got rid of it and kept it to a single shot. So he's given this team a lot of positive nights uh, throughout, right? And they can feel comfortable. They don't feel like they've got to play any different when he's in goal.
0: Yeah, and you look at the two goals. Nothing he could do on the power play goal, uh, backdoor play there. The second one, sure, I'm, goalies always like to think they can stop just about everything that comes their way, but Brock Nelson has scored 19, uh, two of them. He had both the goals for the Islanders in this hockey game, but uh, another solid night at the office for Casey DeSmith, and of course, uh, another strong night for Quinn Hughes in a season full of them. He scores his 11th of the season. He and Heronic controlled... The night at Madison Square, they had another strong night. They each scored the first period, but it wasn't a night, as we said, for all of the stars and they're getting contributions lower in the lineup tonight. It was defensemen that were chipping in as well. Quinn Hughes was just asked about the importance of spreading the offense and getting some goals from some unlikely sources. I think our depth scoring is why we're so we're so good this year, right? And um multiple different um, contributions every game and it's nice to see guys get rewarded. I mean, he's played so well for us and um, he's really been unreal this year, taking tough matchups, pounding kills, blocking shots and um, for him to get a goal like that's big and we're going to need guys like that and, and him to continue to do that down the stretch. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, some high praise for for Tyler Myers. Loved the uh, Connor Garland jumping into the arms of Tyler Myers after his goal. I never get tired <laughs> of uh, those two guys when they're side by side. But uh Twins. Yeah, exactly. No, we talked about uh, Hughes' goal and, again, just creating things on his own as he cut his way to the middle of the ice. But Pironic opens the scoring and the Myers' goal right after uh, the Islanders had scored once and thought maybe they had a little bit of life and Tyler Myers off the rush there. So, yeah, defensemen coming through for the Vancouver Canucks. They were the lowest scoring team in the NHL in terms of goals from defensemen last season with 22. They're up to 20 at the midway mark and led by Quinn Hughes with 11. I think they're only second to, to Colorado right now in terms of defensemen scoring, are they not? In in overall points, but in goals, they still have a little bit of work to do, but they've almost matched last year's total at the midway mark. So uh, improvements uh, certainly in a, a number of areas. Let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three-stars selection from this hockey game. The three-stars selected in the building by Islanders Media. Elias Pedersen was the first star, which surprised me a little bit. I mean, you know, the goal was great and he's up to 20 and Not that he played poorly, but we've got a different first star. Philip Hironik is the second star in Brock Nelson with the two goals for the Islanders. He gets uh, a little home cook in there. Yeah, two-goal performance. I have no issues with Brock Nelson working his way into the three stars. For me, Philip Hironik was the first star. He opens the scoring, a big goal for the Canucks on the road after the Islanders had uh, jumped out to a 10-4 lead on the shot clock. You talked about the power play that didn't score, but it did sort of build some momentum for the Canucks and then Hironik fells Casey Sezikis, gets the puck again and makes no mistake. Take the second time around his third goal of the year he hadn't scored uh since november so it had been a little while for him the guy the way that he shoots the puck a little surprising that he's only at three goals but still packed on the points playing alongside quinn hughes so philip haronic with a goal and an assist plus three on the night he's the first star here on rink wide i'm going with tyler myers farhan as the second star oh, okay like the, the shots were 12-6 for the canucks when he was on the ice at even strength he scores his third goal of the season And he was the Corsi king for the Vancouver Canucks tonight, 68.9% of the shot attempts when Myers was on the ice. So a guy that's taken a ton of heat, brought on some of it uh, with his play over the years and was never going to live up to the contract. But credit where it's due. Like, I just think that this guy has accepted his role. He has settled in. You heard Quinn Hughes talking about big minutes, penalty kill, matchups, all those types of things. Uh, I thought this was a nice night for uh, Tyler Myers. So it was a good night for the defenseman. Two of them uh, finding their way into the top two stars here on Rink Wide Vancouver.
1: Yeah, and you know, truthfully, I like him on a pair with Susie because I know that we, we talked about him with Zadorov when that trade first happened, and early in the year, Carson Susie didn't. It looked like he was still finding his way prior to the injury, right? Yep. And and I think that Myers has been very good for Susie, and vice versa. I think it's a pretty good pair for this team, and uh, it's kind of brought out the best in both of them right now. So, and, and you know, you mentioned it earlier that there might not be a more popular guy in the dressing room. Than Tyler Myers, as evidenced by the Connor Garland celebration <laughs> jumping into the lap. Everyone's happy when this guy has success.
0: Yeah, and so I've got Brock Nelson as the third star as well for his two goals. And sure, Elias Pettersson, I have no problem. Almost every night he can be uh, in the honorable mention category, but last night he was. In a different league, yeah. uh, this one, you know, twenty is a nice round number, and there's a lot more to come. And the way that he's going right now, I'm sure he'll be okay being left off the Rinkwide Vancouver three stars. So he'll take the victory as Willie's Hockey Club as they pack their bags, leave the New York area, head for Pittsburgh in the final three games of this road trip: the Penguins, the Sabers, and the Blue Jackets. So a lot still ahead here on Rinkwide Vancouver. We'll get to the staff that stands out. Uh, Looking back at this first half of the season and asking you what stood out the singular biggest story for the Vancouver Canucks over the first 41 games, and uh, we'll take a peek at the the Penguins, who are next up on the docket on Thursday. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Continuing to break down this 5-2 Canucks win over the Islanders, we'll get to our stat that stands out in a second here, Uh, some listener feedback as well about the first half of this season, but Farhan, I mean, the storyline will fade over time, and they're done for this year now, but Bo Horvat, you remember him, still looking for his first win against his old hockey club, 18 minutes and 46 seconds, just one shot on goal. He was good in the face-off circle, as he usually is, but complete non-factor in this one, he did score against the Canucks at Rogers Arena back in in mid-November. Disappointing, I, I, you know. I kind of thought he would be up for the challenge and maybe try to lead his team into the fight here. But uh, boy,
1: I, I barely noticed Bo in this hockey game. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, you talked about uh, you thought earlier in the show that you know maybe there was going to be a letdown tonight, right? After winning at Madison Square Garden and second of back-to-backs and everything they've been doing, but I think Bo Horvat still means something to the rest of the team here, right? And yeah. I think knowing Bo's on the other side, I know that he and Brock Besser shared a bit of a chuckle in the opening face-off, but, uh, and I'm not saying they they want to stick it to Bo or anything like that, but I just think having him in uniform on the other side, I do think it wakes him up a little bit, right? So, you know, and, and I, I wonder what Bo is feeling seeing this team be this good right now right because when he came back earlier in the year right like you didn't know if it was going to be sustainable or what have you but the fact is that like 41 games in this is the best they have ever played or matched the the 2010 2011 team i wonder what's going through his mind through all of that and and i wonder if that you know pulls him back in a moment like this that sometimes you know you can flip the switch and you want to be competitive and if they ever saw each other in a playoff game that would probably be the case but you know he's had a good season by all accounts and and by all yep. reports even though it was a non-factor today and that team is still in the Like if the playoffs started today, they're in the eighth spot, right? I think yeah. they're still two points above the playoff bar in the East. So it's not like they've been playing uh, terribly. They're still doing some good things. And people did think that they would really, really take a step back this year, given what their contractual situation was with some guys last year and then Bo Horvat's contract kicking in for the coming season. But so far, I think he's been okay. Matt Barzal, 11 straight games, every game he's ever played against the Canucks, he's had a point including tonight. He certainly is at the top of his game when he plays his hometown team, but uh, Bo's not there yet.
0: No, and when the Canucks saw the Islanders and Bo's return in November, and that was a big deal, obviously, first time back, but the Canucks had just come off that Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. It was the stretch there where they were playing 10 games in 17 nights, and it was the start of that win-one-lose one. They had got off to the nice start, and I'm sure Bo had paid attention, but then it kind of felt like, all right, maybe they're settling in a little bit. Now, as they leave town here with two more points and they've won 11 of their last 15 hockey games, you do wonder what was, you know, what's going through Bo's mind. His team may make the playoffs. We'll see. They did play, like, look, since the trade, he has signed himself a contract that's going to set him up for life. He did get to play some playoff hockey last spring. So he had that going for him and he may be in the playoffs again, but you're right. He's not part of what he had hoped that the Vancouver Canucks were going to be uh, when he was the captain here. And so uh, they've moved on, and uh, they move on from Long Island with another victory, their third straight here, out on this road trip. But Let's get to the stat that stands out from this hockey game. We touched on it a little bit in the opening segment, the fact that uh, the Canucks held the Islanders to just four shots on goal over the final 20 minutes and eight over the final 40. Again, expecting a push and score effects and everything else. According to Natural Statric, the Islanders had one high-danger scoring chance in the wow. third period of this game. So absolutely, the Canucks locked it down. Uh, it was a, a little bit boring, but I am willing to give the Canucks all the credit in the world at the tail end of three and four, the way they handled themselves and just went about their business in that third period. So one high-danger in the final period, just two over the final 40 that's how you limit your opponents and their scoring chances. So absolutely, stats that stand out, as is the fact that the Canucks are now 24-0 and when they take a lead to the third period. 24 times in the first half of the season, they've taken a lead. To the th- I mean, that in itself is an incredible statistic, but the fact that it is an unblemished record at 24-0 when leading after two periods, uh, again, you just have to salute these guys for the way that uh, they've been able to,
1: to lock some of these games down. Now, you also wanted to talk about numbers that stand out for the first half of the season.
0: Yeah, I just, we asked the the listeners, and we'll get to the feedback channels here at Rinkwide Van in a sec, the, the singular biggest story. Like, I didn't want people coming at me with a long list. There's been a ton of options, but I was wanting our listeners, our fine listeners, to narrow it down to the one thing that stands out above all else, uh, for them. So we'll get to some of those in a sec, but I, I said, I'd put the question to you. When you look at this hockey club and where it is and the way that it has transformed from a year ago and everything else that's come up with uh, all of the victories here, what's the one sort of storyline
1: to you? It's a number, not necessarily a storyline, but it does show a level of, it's reflective of, of the completeness of what they're doing right now. And that is 53. And not even 53 in terms of the goal differential. But their goal differential is 15 goals above the next closest, wouldn't it, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's before the end of action today. But yep. there are 15 goals. Their goal differential is 15 ahead of number two in the National Hockey League. Like this isn't, you know, we, we've seen times where the Canucks have kind of treaded water and, and you know, during a 500 stretch and you look at their goal differential and they're like minus 13 and you wonder how the heck are they even 500 for the month of whatever it is but plus 53 through 41 games and nobody else is above plus 38.
0: You scared me there when you said 53 and I thought Teddy Bluger has stood out to you that's the story of the first half of the season (laughs) uh I get I got you I mean yeah the goal differential is incredible and even if you were to weed out the 10-1 win and the 8-1 win they are still the highest scoring teams in yeah. the National Hockey League. And and as we said, these three games here, yeah, the devils are hurting, I get that. But still, they hung six on New Jersey, six against the Rangers, five more here. Uh, it is incredible the way that uh, they have gone about their business. All right, let's get to some listener feedback then from our social channels at Rinkwide Van. Again, asking the singular biggest story at the midway mark here for the Vancouver Canucks. Talk it's Cheekbone, who's uh, contributed before, proving that they are not only a playoff team, bought a contender. And with every victory that uh, they put in their back pocket, I I think people are starting to formulate that same thought and to go through New York and do what they've done here. That'll get some people's attention. If there were doubters out East, a lot of lines put on a show, the defense last night. And again, in this one, they are certainly working their way into contender status. Jewel says no extended losing streaks. If they lose a game or two, they don't let it go beyond that. Very impressive. And I'd agree. Farhan, they get to the midway mark of the season. They have lost consecutive games twice. Like, just stop and think about that for a second. Like, that's ridiculous for a Vancouver Canucks hockey club. Like, we're both scarred from the last decade, so are most of the fans. They have lost consecutive Like, they lost their first seven games to start last season. They've lost consecutive <laughs> games twice through 41 games this year. So absolutely, I'm glad that, uh, Jules, you brought that up, because that is a huge part of why they are where they are
1: you know, we talk about the consistency and for them to be able to kind of revert back to a a level of structure and systems. And I also think that Rick Tockett knows when to push buttons. And you go back to that Philadelphia game early in the year, right? Yep. He put them collectively in their place, right? That, okay, you you, you beat Edmonton twice to start the year. The second one wasn't pretty. And now you've played like this, right? He knows the buttons to push with this group that prevents them from certainly not getting too high when they're, they're stringing games along, but more importantly, not letting it get away from them when they have, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a dry spell.
0: Josh, the Zamboni guy, says the depth scoring, especially that third line that is actually the second line, and he says the... Trio of Joshua Garland, Bluger of incredible chemistry, and they've dominated on the four check. Big boys have scored, but that line has won some games for them this season, and it is incredible because uh, really, and I was looking at the 20-game splits, like Teddy Bluger played six games of the first 20. He was hurt, and he had one point. He's had 15 points in the last 20 games. And we know that Garland and Joshua was a healthy scratch once in those first 20 games. And like they have just somewhere around U.S. Thanksgiving, I don't know if they got together and had like a a nice turkey dinner, but uh, it all came together for those three guys uh, in late November. And there has been absolutely no looking back. James says it has to be defensive depth. And when you look at the way that they have turned the defense core, I was uh, skeptical that you could revamp and overhaul the defense core as quickly and as effectively as they have to the point that they're able to sit Ian Cole down in the middle of the season to let Noah Juleson play. The development of Juleson sticking with it and becoming an option that they feel comfortable turning to and resting veteran players, that's been a nice storyline. I mean, let's be honest, health across the board, especially at the top end of the lineup, that's been a huge story here uh, that maybe
1: some people take for granted, but you don't know, have strike while your iron's hot. You've got all these guys. They're, none of their core guys have had any meaningful injuries. And we, you know, we wanted to believe that Pedersen was playing through something and that maybe a one point Hughes was playing through something, but you know, whether it was fatigue, whatever it is, they, they didn't miss games and they're on top of their game right now. Um, you know, Thatcher Demko stayed healthy all the way through, which was so important, right? Because of what the last couple of years have looked like. But you know, for me in terms of individual stories, I think Besser and Garland have been huge for me, right? And, you know, people talk about Brock Besser and wanting to get traded, and Connor Garland wanted to get traded. Like, think about this, right? Like, last December, Besser's agent was given permission to seek a trade. This year, in training camp, Connor Garland's agent was given permission to seek a trade. These were two wildly inefficient contracts for this team, and they are anything but that right now. Like Brock Besser is a key, key piece. Connor Garland has found his game with a level of consistency on that third line. He's noticeable night in and night out. Uh, Whether he's scoring or not, he's driving play. Uh, You know, it's a perfect fit for him because his line mates don't necessarily need the puck. He can, you know, do it from his end. So for those two guys to have the role they're having on this team right now, and and, you know, with Besser, remember, right? Like there's people in in Canucks Twitter that think that, Oh, we were trying to get rid of him. No, no, he, you know, he was (laughs) looking for trade. His agent was
0: trying to facilitate a deal. Well, and from,
1: and from the media standpoint, truthfully, as guys that have gotten to know this, this guy since he was a rookie, like I really like Brock Besser. Sure. Of course. Like just as a guy. And so when he was looking at a potential move and needing a change of scenery, I, for one, felt empathetic more, more than anything else, or sympathetic at least saying, look, like this guy's been through hell and back. And if he feels the right thing for him is a change, then God bless. Go get it and, and find your career. None of us were trying to think this guy's a bum, get rid of him. It was more like we've gotten to know him since he was, you know, since he was quite young. He's always been great for us to deal with. That can't be said of everybody in that room, but he's been, you know, really, really top-notch from start to finish. And then by the end of the year, he says, you know, I was the best thing that didn't happen that I didn't get moved. Right. And now he's he's built on that and done things in the offseason that Talkett wanted him to do. And so you've got two guys, because we talked about how inefficient these deals were. They got rid of Oliver ekman Larson, right? They're going to be paying for that for a while, but they they moved on from him. And it was really important that the first two years of that is where they, they make it, because after that, there's going to be real pain. And now, like, tell me where the inefficient contract is in the Vancouver Canucks. You know, people would still
0: point at Tyler Myers, but Tyler Myers is providing not the $6 million value, but if you just accept the player for who he is at this stage of his career – He is providing value. Oh, he's cut down the mistakes, certainly. And I get it. Fans think a little bit differently of the players, and that's fine. I'm not telling people how to fan here. But Tyler Myers is one of the most popular guys in that locker room. Like, he just, he is. Like, the players absolutely love that guy as a teammate. And he is, again,
1: as honest and straight up, as they come in terms of dealing with but yeah he might be the only one maybe like maybe Mikheyev maybe but you yeah. know it, like his Kuzmenko one right now given he's in and out of the lineup and he's getting five and a half million you don't hate the deal because he's only got two years on it but today maybe but the fact that you know every team's got some sure. but the Canucks had a lot and now that those two players can no longer be part of that label you know they're they're in pretty good shape on that front.
0: I'm glad he brought up Besser. There's a lot of them. Uh, a lot of people responded with Besser. So uh, we covered cover that one. I mean, I, just the fact that there are so many
1: different answers. And don't say he's going to get 30 goals. Don't say he's going to get 30. I'm not like, saying a But he's at 25 at the midway <laughs> mark. He might get 50. Uh, I know, but we've also <laughs> talked about health, so we can't jinx
0: anything. Robbie says uh, the fact that three guys have 50 points at the halfway mark. It, it truly is incredible. That's never been done Uh, Again, every game, it feels like there's new statistics about things that have never been done by Vancouver Canuck teams. And yeah, to have uh, three guys, including a defenseman, get to 50 points by the halfway mark. We'll leave the last word to Bug, who says resilience. There have been times where it would have gone off the rails in recent years. This year's team just gets back to basics and gets back on track quickly. And again, uh, I think that's a great point. And I look at last night, the Rangers score on a power play, a best power play in the NHL. You know, the Canucks down one nothing early in a tough place to play. A couple minutes later, they're leading 2-1 to and they're not looking back. I mean, the response, uh, the poise, the patience, composure, all those types of things, and it does trickle down from the coach. Uh, there's no doubt about it, but I would agree. In, in seasons gone by, we've seen it, where it gets off the rails and they just can't get it back. And uh, that comes back to the point I made earlier about back-to-back losses twice in 41 games. Uh, there has been just a, a true level of professionalism, dedication, all those words, uh, you know, and and I think these guys are now taking pride in recognizing that they are among the best in the National Hockey League and there's a lot of hockey to go,
1: but I think they feel like they belong in that stratosphere. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we're going to get into these kinds of discussions about whether they're a contender or not, right? Yep. Because we've seen before that certain teams are built for regular season success and might not necessarily be built – for what a playoff matchup seven game series can look like when teams can really get a scout on you, you know, figure out what you look like, figure out what your special teams look like and have a real strategic plan with how they're going to play you as opposed to, you know, you got a morning film session, call it a day because you got to play them and then you get into the next one. Right. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to look at that. we're also going to, you know, get into the the trade deadline pretty soon because now that if this team were calling them a contender, Mm -hmm. right. Like how do you approach the trade deadline? right so there's going to be all of these things that we look at in terms of this team and where the needs are and whether or not this is going to translate to playoff success and things like that but you know these are great conversations to be having as opposed to what we had before like sell fast don't want <laughs> a three don't go on a three game streak before the deadline to prevent them from selling like <laughs> these are these are much more pleasant conversations Yeah,
0: and I'm kind of feeling just anecdotally, like buddies of mine that uh, have been at an arm's length and have been turned off uh, in recent years, they're coming back. Everybody will always come back. And why not? Like, this is what people have waited and wanted uh, for so long. It's fairly tangible now with 57 points. Like, we're talking about somewhere 95 assuring themselves of a playoff spot like they need less than 40 points to get to to 95 now and they're at the halfway point of the season so uh, incredible work for the Vancouver Canucks in the first half but uh, really the work is just getting started here as they work their way now to the postseason all right uh, they're gonna see Sid and the Penguins uh, a bunch of former Penguins on this Canuck roster and we all know the management story as well Penguins have been idle since well they played on monday so connects with an extra game in there as they work their way to pittsburgh so the pens are going to be rested they beat philadelphia four to one last night they're five and two since christmas so playing some some decent hockey uh and sid's have an incredible year going to the all-star game not a surprise there but uh leaves the penguins with 22 goals in 39 games so uh you know you gotta be you gotta be careful we all know the names Gino and Sid, Chris Tang and Eric Carlson. they star power there. And Jake they never Gensel. seem to age. No, Jake Gensel leads them in scoring, but uh, how long is he going to be a Penguin? And maybe the Canucks will just uh, take him with them uh, as they leave <laughs> Pittsburgh on Thursday night. So that's next up for the Canucks. This was the midway mark of the season, the midway mark of the road trip. They're 3-1 and one now on the trip with three games to go. And again, can't say it enough, 27-11-3, 57 points in the 41 games that they have played. Farhan, great stuff. Uh, not a surprise. Again, we've had uh, the good fortune to work together a lot over the years. So uh, delighted to get you into the rotation and the mixer. I know it's not the last time. You've got a busy schedule with the, the meat of the National
1: Football League playoffs about to begin here. I'm off to Kansas City this week. you have any extra gloves I can borrow? It's going to be very, very cold. You're going to be on uh, Swifty Watch there. I will be on Swifty Watch, yep. We'll <laughs> see if the Miami Dolphins can handle the cold weather. <laughs> like it's going to be minus 22 in Kansas City on, on uh, Yikes. Saturday. Yikes!
0: Well, yeah. fortunately, we're dealing with a red-hot hockey club. Doesn't matter yeah. what the outside temperature is. Uh, all the Canucks seem to do is win 5-2. They defeat the New York Islanders. Uh, From Farhan, this is Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of rink Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.